HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway. Today happens to be Super Bowl Sunday, and I have a fun little fact. Um, as you're gnawing down on buffalo wings tonight, and if you're wondering why they're so delicious, uh, you might be surprised. Actually, you might know this. It's not that big of a secret, but... Um, so the sauce, that delicious buffalo wing sauce, which I happen to think is one of the, the most delicious flavors in the world, is actually 50% two things. It's half part Frank's Red Hot Sauce or whatever. Some other brand of Red Hot Sauce or Tabasco sauce is fine too. And the next ingredient is butter. And that's what makes it so delicious. So I'm really excited to be talking about all Things Butter with the author of Butter, A Rich History. It is Elaine Kasrova, and she's joining us today in the station. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for coming down. Great to be here. So you you. came down from Butterland, Hudson, New York. That's right, in the (laughs) Hudson Valley. I actually live between two dairy farms on Mm -hmm. dirt road up there, so I'm surrounded by the idea of butter as well as butter itself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you're a longtime food writer, test kitchen editor. So you've been in around food for a long time. But um, you write in your introduction that, you know, you sort of always just took butter for granted. It's it's Mm. there. And, you know, I think the most like one of the interesting things about butter these days, too, is that you find it everywhere from high to low cuisine, greasy spoon (coughs) diners to the finest chefs are making their own house made butter and Mm. so forth. It's like a very unifying ingredient. Mm. Yeah, but it's it's just the fact that it, it is so common and so available that makes us take it for granted. And I, as you said, I was guilty of that uh, mm-hmm. for most of my career. 
And it wasn't until I was, I was working as editor of the Cheese Magazine, Culture, so mm-hmm. a few years ago. And so I was getting to sample different kinds of butter from around the world and different types of butter, like higher fat butter and cultured butter and whey butter and sheep butter, goat butter. And I remember being sort of astonished at one point, realizing, wow, this is essentially one ingredient, cream, butter fat, you know, give or take salt, put through a really simple process of agitation. Mm -hmm. There's many different ways you can agitate, but it's just that simple. And so Mm -hmm. why was I experiencing some butters that were kind of greasy and others that were more firm? Some had a lot of butteriness, while others were a little flatter in flavor. Um, There were tangy butters. There were different colored butters. So I just began to suddenly be aware of this range of experience and I couldn't account for it as a mm-hmm. f- longtime food writer. Like, what's actually going on here? So it was the, the craft and science of buttermaking that really drew me to the topic first. And maybe that's because you were given the task of, of trying these different butters mm-hmm. that yes. were unique. Right. Instead of, like, this very homogenized staple mm-hmm. that I grew up eating and you see everywhere. Yes, yes. Too. Right. When I grew up, there was basically two kinds of butter in the supermarket and they were identical they probably Mm -hmm. were even made in the same industrial plant but you know now we have this uh, wonderful variety of imported butters we still have of course the industrial ones and I and I want to make a point that we're really lucky to have such good standardized butter to some degree I love artisanal butters I love trying them but um the industrialized butter, especially if they come from a good sort of grass-fed co-op, milk co-op, like they do in Ireland and mm-hmm. uh, New Zealand, you know, they've, they do amazing butter. It's so right. consistent. Your cookies always come out the same. Uh-huh. You know, your cakes, your butter That's creams. a feat. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's really great. I, I, my book makes a point of, you know, uh, we shouldn't just be all about artisanal butters, even mm. though those have become a way for dairy farmers to, you know, have value-added product that can maybe support their lifestyle a little bit better on these mm-hmm. small dairy farms. So it's it's really taking, you know, a new direction, and actually a new old direction. Nice, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, butter, any way you slice it, is such a fascinating <laughs> product, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize until reading this book. Um, well, I mean, you know, we love mm-hmm. butter. Yeah, I yeah. kind of did, yeah. but... <laughs> You yes. examine butter from so many angles in this book, um, societal, spiritual, mm-hmm. scientific, mm-hmm. and and you write how the story of butter really underscores the story of, of us. Of us, you, yes. You write, one of the oldest man-made edibles, butter's history is our history. That's right, yeah, um, because it has intersected with so much of what we are about. So, as you said, you know, religion, spirituality, um, there's a whole chapter on that in my book, um, agriculture, gender politics, mm-hmm. um, you Love know, those national politics, uh-huh. uh, you know, science, craft, so many ways, in, you know, way we do things and why we do things that butter has intersected with. So it's, it's a little bit like a lens on, you know, mankind's history through butter. Mm-hmm. And that's how it felt for me when I was doing the research. It was really, uh, really fascinating. So let's start with back to the basics. Mm-hmm. When people first made butter, mm-hmm. they you have this lovely um, passage about this nomadic family in Tibet mm-hmm. and um, how they gathered the milk in the morning from, from a yak. 
Yes. And uh, it, it sounded like an amazing just feat of, of skillfulness and carefulness dealing with the yak and bringing along a calf so she was comfortable because, you know, these these animals want to save their milk for their young. Yes, right. <laughs> it's a little trick to right. having the milk be let down by the mother. Right. But yeah, so I, I went so to Bhutan to to really witness yak butter making as it has been done for thousands of years. It really mm-hmm. hasn't changed among the herding population in the high altitude of Bhutan. So my husband and I went there and camped alongside this family uh, so we could see the daily ritual of gathering the milk from, from the yak. And uh, yeah, it's as it was for so many thousands of years, it's women's work. Essentially, the, mm. the woman in the family did all the milking. She did all the processing of the milk into butter, mostly butter, but they also made cheese sometime. Um, the husband, honestly, I'm not sure what he did. <laughs> You're like, I'm observing him do nothing. <laughs> I know he told the dogs to tell the yak to go to go graze at some point, but um, he spent a lot of time around the fire. Oh, um, yeah. So. Okay, let's talk about you. Right, and I didn't realize this either. Like when we think of butter and milk we think of you know dairy maids butter Mm. churn and uh, Mm -hmm. you know it's a woman's world but um you write how you know women single-handedly are really responsible for much of the innovations and the craft of butter making throughout forever yes until maybe the last well we'll talk about that later yes till we hit the century right until the late 1800s what i found in my research was that almost universally it was taboo for men to have anything to do with milking and processing milk because it was so closely connected with birthing and lactation and fertility. So it was very much a female domain. And again, this was around the world. I found this to be the case. So women were the, they they founded the dairy industry, cheese making, butter making. And when we talk about women, we're not talking about like business women. We're talking about like people who are otherwise mothers Mm -hmm. and doing other stuff. Farm wives, for sure. Many, many farm wives, but also the dairy maids. Because being a dairy maid was one of the few jobs a woman could find, actually, mm-hmm. outs- outside of a home. And did they invent <clears throat> butter, you think? Or, or wait, no. You write that butter was sort of an accident, right? Yes. So if you go back to, you know, Stone Age mm-hmm. butter, we don't know for sure. We'll never really know for sure. But we, what we speculate is that um, at some point, a shepherd's family mm-hmm. had put the milk from... Either, you know, it would have been a yak or sheep or a goat. It wouldn't have been a cow because cows were domesticated much later. Mm-hmm. But would have put that milk into an animal sack to store it and then were, was transporting it, presumably, on the Their back of an animal. thing, yeah. Um, yeah, so it would have been in an animal sack, the mm-hmm. milk, because that's what they used to carry, uh, you know, the liquid they collected. And so just in transporting this sack, say, over the hill and vale, uh-huh. it would have been rocked back and forth. That's a form of agitation. That's a kind of churning. And so lo and behold, when they opened it up, you know, there were these morsels of fat floating on top. Uh-huh. And we, you know, I doubt it happened in one place and then spread. I think it probably happened all the time. All the time. Yeah. Um, and wait, in colder climates, did they make ice cream accidentally? <laughs> <laughs> Churn. No? Yeah, okay. I doubt I don't that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's mm-hmm. fascinating. But, no, mm-hmm. but you write that, you know, women 
um, are credited with, you know, preserving the milk in various ways through cheese making, Mm -hmm. butter making, salting the butter to preserve it. Yes, it was pickled butter. (laughs) So they would picture, you know, really salty brine. And they would have um, sort of mounted these balls of butter and kept them in this brine. Because think of it, they didn't have any refrigeration. And uh, at the time when milk is most abundant, you know, spring and summer, that's when the temperatures Mm -hmm. are rising. So, And you have this sudden flow of milk and and butter fat and you have have to capture it and you have to preserve it. Uh, So, you know, in the wintertime, it's cold and it wouldn't be a problem. But if you're making you know, butter every single day and it's June and July and August, you have to figure out a way to preserve that, that mm-hmm. windfall of butter. Mm-hmm. And so salting it, heavily salting it, I mean, sometimes it was packed into firkins and molds and things and it would have been at least four times as salty as the saltiest butter that we have now. And then now. they rinsed it afterwards? Yeah, they could, and, like, uh-huh. like you do with salted fish, you can soak it in water right. to try to leach out some of that salt so it's a bit more edible. Wait, why did this not catch on as much that sounds good does anybody still make salted fermented isn't it we have refrigeration now so um no not so much that doesn't really happen all right so let's cut ahead so women are this is a woman's world making Mm -hmm. butter Mm. and uh developing it over the years which by the way you know want to mention too that it gave a lot of women in rural areas uh, on the farm it also helped give them a social outlet if they were going to market with their butter. Oh, uh, so yes. this this sort of fabric of their life was was um, helped. Their social life was helped created by butter, and also women could be very entrepreneurial about it. They 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 had beautiful molds if they wanted to sort of str- uh, trademark their butter if it was good butter. That's right. Yeah. They would get cash in hand. You know they they you know they could do sort of marketing tricks in the as they were selling their butter. And some women went door to door and, uh, you know, basically caught up on the neighbor's gossip and all. Mm-hmm. all. So it really, like I, I write in my book about it, you know, the, f- the fabric of their lives was was um, helped by butter making. It was greased Yeah, it was greased butter. along, <laughs> smooth along. Yeah, and how much that changed when suddenly, you know, in the late 1800s, men invaded the dairy because they wanted to uh, be production. up. But yeah. first, I, I want to get back to that point where it's it was taboo for men mm. to deal with butter. And you found mm. this around the world, that being the mm-hmm. case. Yes. Was yes. It and I witnessed it in, in Bhutan and in India. I was in India mm-hmm. as well. You could still see that women were doing it all. And the Western world, too. Mm-hmm. But oh, what, yeah. Was it, yeah just it, was, it was a little bit less so, you know, in the early states, you know, uh, when the colonists came here because there was such right. short l- little yeah. labor force mm-hmm. and everybody had to pitch in. Right, so there was right. much less sort of gender politics around it mm-hmm. in in the new world. Was there religion politics around it too? Like you're saying? Uh, um, as far as production of butter, um, I didn't identify that precisely. Okay. Um, yeah. Not precisely. You know, There's the religion... And butter, for me, in my research, was was much more about how peoples, all peoples, used it as a sacred tool. Right, right. Mm -hmm. It's just funny that, you know, you think, okay, well, this is a female cow. It lactates like you do. So you... (laughs) Right, 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 right. (laughs) But it's also a very, you know, it's not like physically, it's not like it's not physically demanding, you know. Yeah, oh yeah. Carrying stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Milking. 
Yeah, it was it was hard work. That's why I, I write about how ironic it is that dairy maids have this kind of semi erotic, right? Um, What's up you with know, that? Yeah, um, reputation. Yeah, yeah. This and image once, of the dairy maid, and yet they were strong, tough women. You weren't know, they? Yeah. yeah, they were milking in the fields. They had like a yoke they wore on their a wooden yoke to carry mm-hmm. their pails of milk and all through all kinds of weather and they were tough they were tough and yet they um were sort of glamorized and by you know artists and people had this this you know i think because they were so closely connected to fertility it was you know that whole realm and and men didn't understand how women you know took this took this liquid went into the dairy, and then it emerged as butter and cheese. Like, they, they knew women could do this, and to some degree they took it for granted, of course. But there was a little bit of this, like, magic, like, what's going on in there? How do they how do, they do mm-hmm. this? Um, so I think that plays into this, the stereotype of the dairy maid. And the, the associations continue to this day. I was looking yeah. at um, this little packet of butter, mm-hmm. Lando Lakes, the other day, and mm-hmm. I was like, dude, what is up with this? <laughs> Like Native American girl on the cover. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about that. Like what happened after the marketing, mass marketing and mm. industrialization of butter. Mm. But you see those those relics of that female association. Oh, yeah. Uh, you see it around, around the world. Um, mm. Okay. So right after a quick little commercial break and be right back chatting more with Elaine Kasaruba. One Hundred Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. One Hundred Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment. 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. All right, we're back chatting more with Elaine Kasarova. She's written Butter, A Rich History. We love this book. Um, We were just talking about how butter... Okay, now we're talking about the ascension of butter from this traditionally uh, farm wives Mm -hmm. (laughs) product into the Industrial Revolution. You write that it was a very relatively quick leap for this Mm -hmm. product um, Mm -hmm. to go from an artisanal, I guess we could say now, Uh, product to a mass-produced one. Yeah, when you think that butter had been made more or less the same way for thousands of years, and then suddenly along came this invention called the cream separator, and mm-hmm. that really just revolutionized the entire the entire industry because now farmers, um, dairy manors, small or big, didn't have to wait the 24 to 36 hours it took for... Uh, cream to traditionally, you know, f- to rise to the top of the milk. They would it, milk would be set in pails and pans and troughs, 
and people would have to wait this very long time for the cream to rise to the top, at which point then it could be skimmed off, and then you kept collecting those skimmings until you had enough to make butter. So that's the way it was done for many years. Although I will say, in places like India and Bhutan, they churn the whole milk. They would mm. ferment whole milk, that's like like a I yogurt see. type product. And churn the whole milk. But, you know, in Europe and in the States, the tradition was always to skim the cream the off. Cream. Huh. So along, in the, along came this cream separator in the late 1800s. And um, suddenly you could have fresh cream. That was more or less a new product, fresh mm. cream, because it works by centrifugal force. So you put the milk in, and because of the different weights of the fat, the molecular weight, the, the fat comes out one spout, and the more liquid portion comes out the other, and now you suddenly have fresh cream. Wow. Um, so uh, so that, that, that really, advanced. yes, mm-hmm. yes. And what's interesting is the Chinese figured this out something in like 900 AD that you could do this, but it didn't hit the dairy world wow. until that, you know, that many centuries Were they centuries using that later. for milk, for cream, for butter? No, no. not in China. No, yeah, they were, but so. they understood how using centrifugal force could separate ah. things. So the, the, you know, the theory uh, of centrifugal it. force was ancient, but it didn't hit the dairy world till, till late 1800s. So I write my book about it. Suddenly, you know, butter leaves the farm. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not, it's not profitable anymore for um, for wives and you know dairy maids to to make it there. So it makes more sen- sense for them to just collect their milk, you know, put it in the wagon, bring it to a local creamery. So because of the separator, these local creameries suddenly appeared. They were a new thing where mm. farmers came along and got paid for their milk by the pound. And that at the creamery they had the separators and they could just make it right there. I mean there were there were farmers who got a small separator and did it still did it at home. It mm-hmm. wasn't just like universally yeah, gone. Yeah, but um, you know, it it shifted That's the things. most profitable way to do it. Right. Most efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, so also to compare butter making then throughout much of history and now mm-hmm. we have cows that produce more milk. Lots Generally. more milk. Lots more milk. Like, like thousands of gallons more milk mm-hmm. and lactation. And that has everything to do with breeding. Mm-hmm. You know, tons of, you know, innovation as far as breeding on, on many generations of cows. Um, I think you you might have this. I, my brain doesn't re- exactly remember this stat, but I, I compared a 14th century cow lactation to modern and and it's it's just off the charts difference and also you didn't have to hurt or (laughs) you didn't have as many nomadic herders trying to like capture this you know (laughs) yak and then bring along a calf but uh right you write that you know Holstein's is typically the most high-yielding mm, yeah, milking cow. Right. But smaller farms, more artisanal ones um, that look for flavor, perhaps over-yield. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you write that Dan Barber of Stone Barns mm-hmm. and uh, Blue Hill right. uh, was trying out making like single... Utter. Breed cow, single udder, single udder butters right. to see which one was best. Yes, yeah, I haven't gotten to sample them, but I think his contention was butter. That, <laughs> single udder butter. Butter, it's, it's I can't awesome. say that very fast. <laughs> um, his contention is that absolutely there was a difference. It, you know, it makes sense because the health of a cow, the the period of lactation that she's in. 
um, what she's eating, you know, all these things. There are many subtle variables that affect a butter and, and the milk fat, you know, within the milk, the volume and the quality, so forth. Yeah, and there are breeds, you know, if you want to make cheese and make butter, um, Holstein is generally not the best breed for you. Okay. You know, you want Jersey or Guernsey cows. And, you know, in Europe, there's um, Brown Swiss. You know, there's there's you other that ones. Hawthorne Valley mm. was using the Brown Swiss mm-hmm. yeah. near you? Yes. Okay, in Hudson? Yeah. yeah. Um. He's a German farmer, uh-huh. so he was okay. partial to <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, most mostly I see a lot of Jersey cows among mm-hmm. butter makers and cheese makers. That's but, interesting. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know if there's any, like, rising star breed for today's, I guess, Well, you're seeing more Guernsey, makers? too. Okay. Guernseys have a beautiful milk. It's, it's almost tinged a little bit golden because they have a high quantity of milk fat in there. And also... You know, the goldenness of it has to do with how much beta carotene right. is kind of hidden the in grass, the grass. Right? right, the grass that they're fed. So that has a lot to do with the color, how they're fed. Mm-hmm. So more and more, uh, or I don't know, what is the state of grass-fed milk nowadays? So mm. it's becoming more popular. Oh, for sure. Um, Absolutely. And, and it's still, you know, you can, a farmer can, if you know, feed their herd a little bit of grass and call mm-hmm. it grass-fed. Sure. There's no real regulation around it. You really kind of got to do your research. If it says grass-fed and grass-finished and pastured, you know, if there's all pastured. these kinds of our terms, though, um, yeah. statements you have to look for if you want the real thing. I, I think it's a label that's easily corrupted out there and you don't mm-hmm. exactly know what you're getting. Um, but there is a difference nutritionally. And, you know, if you also believe politically in animals being out mm-hmm. on grass and eating what to they eat were what their nature what their yeah. nature is to eat um, you know it's worth doing the homework but. I find it interesting I, I didn't realize this but you know uh, <laughs> nowadays most cows are not you know fed they're weaned from their mothers and they're they're not given the milk because why right. we're taking the milk from exactly. it too. So the, yeah and mm-hmm. they're also artificially inseminated too mm. so all yeah. these things are it's a real factory yeah it really truly is a real factory that's why when when I've sometimes been um, confronted by vegans mm-hmm. <laughs> as a butter writer um, <laughs> I know they have a really good point you know yeah. they, they really the industrial model of keeping animals is it's shameful in my view um, but there are alternatives and not everyone is doing that right and as as you know I live up in the Hudson Valley and uh, many dairy farmers who love their animals and treat them well and let the let the calves nurse right. with the mother and you know, do this this negotiation that has gone on for centuries because mm-hmm. people, especially people in northern climates, you know, absolutely needed animal products to survive. They didn't have the growing season. Mm-hmm. They had to have animal products, but they had to take care of the health of those animals at the same time. Mm-hmm. So they learned, you know, the best practices and negotiating with this creature um, so that every, so they both could survive. Right. And, and be healthy. You know, right. Mm-hmm. So there is a model out there. It's, you know, it's rare, but it's, there is a model out there. Uh, in general, if butter is more yellow or golden, does that mean that they've been eating more grass that season or, you know, because the beta carotene? Yes. yes. That, so that is yes, a thing? In general. Okay. But, but people should know that 
goat butter and sheep oh, right. butter will always be, be white. white. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with the way the animal takes the beta, beta carotene in their feed in the grass and uh, converts it to vitamin A, which is colorless. So mm-hmm. it still has good nutrition because vitamin A is, you know, vitamin A. And beta carotene is it's the precursor orange. to mm-hmm. vitamin A. Mm-hmm. Um, but it won't be, it won't ever be yellow. Okay. Some some producers, I've, uh, there's a producer in England that, that slightly colors, naturally colors their goat butter so it doesn't look so white because it tends mm-hmm. to look like lard. Oh. It's not as appealing. You <laughs> right, know, people right. definitely like yellow butter. Yeah. Uh, and so there are, you sometimes see, you know, a little natural food color, coloring, annatto on the we goat butter. We didn't talk <laughs> too much about this. Okay, that's one of the big differences, I think, between the fake margarines and oleo products. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it has that crazy weird golden color <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also that <laughs> unnaturally smooth consistency. Yes. Yeah. Um, right. So the last century mm. was not very kind to butter. I mean, mm. in, in a, I guess, a, I don't know, yeah. popular culture, it was thought to be not good for you, not, right. you know, it was certainly right. not fat-free. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And it, it's come around, though. It's really take. It really took a beating in mm-hmm. the 20th century. Uh, I grew up in the second half of the 20th century. Well, I grew up in the 70s, and you know, fat was just demonized. Any kind of fat, but particularly saturated fat. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's when margarine really started to take over the right. market. Because um, you know, it uh, seems so healthy if it's vegetable oil product right you know what could be wrong with that but uh, now we know you know that when you take vegetable oils and you adulterate them you know to make uh, hydrogenated fat which is turning a trans fat right turning a liquid oil into a solid fat as they do with margarine is is creating these trans fats so you know there there we were so many people Eating what they thought was healthier that uh-huh. was actually doing them a lot of damage, you know, and we s- we s- see still the the result of that today. I mean, heart disease really we we've hardly made any progress, you know, as far as um, people having less heart disease. What we've gotten good at is like stints and mm-hmm. and bypasses and the plumbing around the heart, but actual heart disease because yeah. because so much of our food supply has been corrupted with you know sugar and trans fats, which yeah. really those are two uh, two risky things when you talk about the health of your arteries. And so it's not butter per se. In fact, you know, uh, real good grass fed butter has things that actually protect you from heart mm. disease. Believe it or not. The, there's so much amazing information now coming out about saturated fat and this how what a big category of fat it is and how you know anybody that just sort of lumps it all together and says oh it's not good for you really it, it does, either doesn't know what they're talking about or is just not telling you the truth mm-hmm. but it takes I have a f- degree in food and nutrition mm-hmm. um, it's an old degree <laughs> it's from okay. it's from when I was yeah. told to tell people not to eat fat. Oh. But I do. I ban. I am able to kind of work through these articles and research papers to understand all the cool stuff now, and yeah. it's just wonderful. But I want to pull my hair out because you still go to the store and there's all these low fat, no fat labels everywhere. You know, we're still stuck in that mm-hmm. to some degree. We've still been brainwashed to some yeah, degree. Yeah, and actually, the medical establishment seems like the last to come along. Uh, like there's still so many doctors, so many doctors that say, you know, stay away from. 
Yeah. You got. Uh, there's so much more to talk about, but the the interesting thing I I think. You know, I've read a lot about the controversy of good fat, bad fat, butter is good for mm. you, bad for you anyway. <clears throat> but what you bring to this um, debate is a really interesting, um, the gender politics of it. Because for so long, you know, butter was, was a woman's product. And then when men came along and industrialized it, you mm-hmm. know, there, they, there was many studies you saw, or like some sort of articles and... What did you write? Historical records of the time with, you know, disparaging remarks about dairy women's backward customs, how they interfered with the advancements mm. and so forth. And you write that the advancements and also the margarine revolution mm. was sort of like a man's world oh, yeah. <laughs> type of thing. Absolutely. And it was all about creating this big, giant commodity. You know, women were really never about that. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. making more and bigger production. Of course, they wanted to make money and do and well. And it's a but cheaper product, mm-hmm. uh, you know, emptier. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing, you know, people don't know, and I didn't know till I did my research, was that one of the reasons margarine started to take off, and this would have been in the late 1800s, early 1900s, was because there was so much bad butter out there. Um, oh. Butter... Butter that would spoil. Um, not consistent Not butter, consistent yeah, butter. Sure. And if you were a person, uh, you know, with little income, you the best you could afford was was bad butter. Rancid butter could be dirty, you know, just <laughs> not good butter. And, and then margarine, which at that time was made from beef fat. Mm. It was made originally from beef fat and milk and salt and a little bit of coloring. So it was actually a pretty natural product. Didn't At have first, the tra- yeah. didn't have the trans fats mm-hmm. that we click created later on. So um, yeah, that that was partly why people took to margarine. Yeah. So it's also mm-hmm. golden <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. glowing there like a halo right. effect. Yeah, enough annatto. It's yeah. really yellow. Well, we've come such a long way in our butter uh, evolution. I can't mm. wait to see where it goes next. And I know that um, there's so much more to talk to you about. It sounds like, mm. looks like we're about we're out of time. time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I hope you come out with a sequel, though. Oh, well, like to see there's, more. you know, there's a lot of butter traditions in North Africa that I really wanted okay. to research. Um, I have a little bit of that in my book. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm, I'd love to do do more on this yeah. topic it's it's amazing this mm. is an amazing topic um mm. i hope everyone gets their hands on butter a rich history um it's out in paperback now so yes. no reason not mm-hmm. to yes and thank you so much elaine for joining us my pleasure thank you all right thanks everyone at heritage we'll see you next week on eat your words Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.
never had no loving like this before. 